And we all can relate to having times of struggle in our journey of faith and in our walk. All of us have those times. All of us have times where we fall short of His glory. There are times that we, we uh, instead of living in that victory that is ours through Christ, we experience some kind of defeat. God has given you and me, who know Christ, everything we need for our life and for godliness. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. Right, it starts next Sunday as we celebrate our mothers on May the 10th. It's March 7th that we had our last worship together in this very space. But we have continued to worship together these past eight weeks. It's hard to believe that it's been eight weeks at sheltering at home and being quarantined. But now in the month of May, we can slowly start coming back together. And so we are excited about that opportunity. We've put several different plans together. As you've been seeing, I hope in the month of May, we have a unique plan. We will always have the 945 online worship service. And we are encouraging our 65 and older crowd to be able to participate in the online service. And then those who are immunocompromised as well to stay at home during the month of May. But for those who want to get out and can get out, we're introducing a new way to worship together. At 11.05, starting next Sunday, we'll be meeting outside by our youth building, the Annex, and we're calling it Lawn Chair Church. Now, I need to help you with this, apparently, because I went to Walmart yesterday to get some lawn chairs to help demonstrate what we're going to do next Sunday. Let me show you what a lawn chair looks like. This, my friend, is a lawn chair. As I went to Walmart and asked the guy in the lawn and garden section where his lawn chairs were. I kid you not, he did not know what a lawn chair was. He said, a lawn chair? you talking about just a folding chair? I said, no, no, no. The lawn chair, the kind you sit outside on the lawn in. This is a lawn chair. Now, this is retro lawn chair. These are the lawn chairs I grew up with, with my family way back in the day. This is the lawn chair that your dad, your grandpa would break out. They'd be in their Bermuda shorts. They'd be in their colored socks with their bright white tennis shoes. That's the lawn chair, okay? And we are going to pack out our campus six foot distanced from each other. As you arrive, we are asking you to bring your own lawn chair. It will be a time of worship outdoors, 11.05, with social distancing. We're going to spread out all over the acreage there and be able to do that in a very safe, safe manner. You saw on the screen, there are several days, Mother's Day next Sunday, Senior Sunday, the Sunday after that, Memorial Day weekend after that, and then we'll wrap up on the 31st with our end of May outdoor lawn chair church. I hope you'll be a part of that. On the next slide, you can see what our parking plan will be. You'll be able to park right there in the Wellness Center parking lot. There's an overflow parking lot into our big parking area that you normally park in, or you can park right in front of the annex. Both of those will feed right into the grassy area where we will gather for church. After church next Sunday, you will be able to take a picture with mom. We'll have different drive through lanes. You'll be able to take a picture together in the car. You can jump out of your car and take a picture together as a family that way. And remember the most unusual, unique Mother's Day, Mother's Day 2020. Well, let's pray together. As we get ready for what God wants to say today, and as we get ready for what God is going to do in the days ahead. Let's pray together. Lord, we come this morning, as we do each and every day, acknowledging that this is the day you've made. 
And Lord, we rejoice and we're glad in it because this is another day that we get to experience your grace and your transformative work in our hearts and in our lives. God, I pray that you are working all things together for your good, including this time of quarantine, including a time where people are being reminded of how fragile life can be. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be our teacher today. And Lord, as we bring an, uh, an outdoor opportunity to our community, Lord, that you would give us favor within our city, that you would continue to give us favor through this online worship all around the world. But Father, right here in the shadow of our steeple, God, I pray that next week would be a great launch to a new way of ministering to our city. Lord, today, we open your word and pray that your word would be alive and active in our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, as we jump into Romans today, we'll be in the last part of Romans chapter 5, if you want to start turning there, and then the first part of chapter 6. Today, Paul is going to challenge us about the realities of a consistent Christianity. He's going to talk to us about the challenges and the struggles that we have in life, and all of us do. And what we're going to see today is that there are many Christians who've experienced God's saving power at the cross, which is what we call justification. And yet those who've been saved and those who have forgiveness from God may not be experiencing God's sustaining power through the Holy Spirit. That's what we know as sanctification. There are too many Christians today that are frustrated in their Christianity. They feel defeated. They feel discouraged. They feel like maybe at times they're even double-minded. And, and we all can relate to having times of struggle in our journey of faith and in our walk. All of us have those times. All of us have times where we fall short of His glory. There are times that we, we uh, instead of living in that victory that is ours through Christ, we experience some kind of defeat. But we need to see in Scripture that God has given you and me, who know Christ, everything we need for our life and for godliness. Let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. As we get to the last part of Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has been speaking to his audience about showing them they are lost and needed a Savior, that there is a way to be saved, not through religion, not through just stopping the unrighteous things we were doing and trying to do better, but that there was only one man who could fix what one man, Adam, destroyed and broke. One man, Jesus, came to fix all of that. And now we see the reality of this and what it means in our life as we trust and place our faith in that Jesus. Look at verse 20. He points to the law that they had been looking to for their salvation and shows them why God gave the law. He said the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now what does he mean that transgressions increased because of the law. What he was reminding them is from the time that Adam was created until the time the law was given through Moses, there was 2,500 years of human history. The first man, that one man, Adam, broke the only law there was not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And from that moment, sin in, increased in the earth. Sin uh, now came into the human experience. And from that day, 2,500 years to law, man lived just however he wanted to live. There was no law. There was no full understanding of sin, although there was a conviction, I believe, 
in lives. Although they knew something was wrong, nothing was stated. The law had not been given. Now, Paul says, the purpose of the law was not to save us, it was to show us we needed to be saved. And as the law was given through Moses, as the law was spelled out, as God's revealed will was given to us, we now could see very clearly, I've broken these laws. And so now our awareness increased, and our understanding, man's understanding of sin increased. But because there was now an increased understanding, there was also this increased understanding of the need for grace. We couldn't fix it, that we couldn't save ourselves, but we come into a full understanding we need God's amazing grace. Now, some have misunderstood the doctrine of God's grace. Some think that because our sins are forgiven by God's grace, we can do anything we want. Matter of fact, I've heard a lot of people seek to challenge the doctrine of eternal security and say, Bill, if you preach that and if you believe that, then people will live however they want to live. Apostle Paul is going to address that false argument today. Uh, you'll see in Scripture God's answer to these things. So let's take a look at it. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, because Paul was going to answer the same questions that started happening with his audience. Look at it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Or in other words, so that sin, we just keep on sinning because that just gives God a bigger chance to show off how powerful His grace is. Do you hear the, the hear, not just the, it isn't humorous and yet it's, it's this ironic thing. When you finally hear what you're thinking, Paul says, stop and think about that thought. That doesn't even make sense. Why would you do that? The natural mind may go there. A natural person who looks at it and says, well, man, if I'm under grace, then God's got to forgive me and God will forgive me. And the enemy may be lying to you about that, but that doesn't make it true. If you think that way about sin, it says more about where you are spiritually than it does about God's grace. There's something about the grace of God and the glory of the good news that immediately raises this issue in people's hearts. If sin is so completely taken care of by the forgiveness of Christ, then we don't really need to worry about sins, do we? I mean, let's just let His grace shine and let it be poured out on however we live. This was a question that was raised even in Paul's day. And I want you to see his supernatural answer. Go to verse 2. Look at what he says. May that mindset and may that belief system, may it never be. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right. That's, that's just the way it is. And man, aren't you glad that God forgives of all things and you're okay and you can live however you want to live. He says, no, may it never be! Exclamation mark. How? Now watch this. This is the key. You've got to understand this. I think some people have interpreted Christianity as accepting Christ, getting a ticket, and I go to heaven. That's Christianity. Now, Christianity is a new life. It is a transformed life. It is dying to the old way of living and now becoming a new creature in Christ. For look at what Paul says. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, Paul is saying, God forbid, absolutely, certainly not, no way. Are you kidding me? How can you even think like that? If you've ever experienced the power of God, if you've ever truly been transformed, there's no way that you can look at sin the same way ever again. No way. Because we who are in Christ, we have an exchanged life. Look at it again. He says, we died to sin. In other words, you gave up your old life. 
in exchange for a new life. You die to your old life and your old nature and you receive a new life and a new nature. Verse 2 is fundamental and foundational. It explains what happened when God saved us and what He's doing as He continues to work out that salvation each and every day. So there are three great phases of salvation that you have to see where God's at work. Paul said it in Philippians 1.6, I'm confident he who began a good work, he who began that salvation, he is the one who completes it. So the first stage of salvation is justification. And in justification, we're being freed from the penalty of sin. And then once we have been forgiven in that moment, then we start the work of sin, or he starts the work of sanctification, where he sets us free from the power of sin. And then the last part of our salvation is glorification. That's when we take our last breath on this planet, when the physical realm no longer is our realm, but we are now face to face with our Lord and Savior in that spiritual eternal realm. And it's at glorification that we are set free from the presence of sin. And so in all those things, God is at work, and God is choosing to do that in your life. If you've never trusted Christ, if you don't know Him, you know Him maybe in your head but not your heart, Today, God wants to do that work in your life. God wants to justify you, forgive you of your sins, and give you His grace. It's a gift to be received. He wants to work throughout your life to free you from the power of sin and then give you that heavenly place we sang about earlier together with the praise team, that place in heaven. Heaven is our home, away from the presence of sin. Now, we have to remember the lessons of last week from earlier in chapter 5. He pointed out that we were in Adam. That means we were dead in our sin and we had a sinful nature. But all throughout chapter 5, he's been teaching what it means to be in Christ a new creation. A new type of creation. Not just a better improved, but a completely transformed, totally radically new creation. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. And as this new transformed creation, we no longer live for sin. We don't live for that old sin nature that was crucified with Christ and was put to death. But because of our new nature, Christ now lives in us and through us. But the problem is sin wants to keep living in us. Now, There's a great debate at this point. There are some who believe that as a Christian, we just get a second nature. And so we have two natures, our old sin nature and our Christ nature. And I don't happen to believe that that's what is taught here in Scripture. We're going to dig this out, and we're going to see that the, the Scriptures teach that we have one nature. When we were born in this world, we were born with Adam's nature. We were born with Adam's DNA, and we had the sin nature. In Christ, we are totally radically transformed, and we become something completely new, and we have the nature of Christ, His nature, in us. And if that is true, it is, if that's what Scripture teaches, it does, then why do we still struggle with sin? Some say, well, it's because of our sin nature. Well, I want you to see what Scripture does teach. Hold your place in Romans. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. Paul talked about this battle and he talked about this struggle. What it's like now that we have this new nature. Here's the reality. Verse 17. The flesh... See, we still live in a flesh. We still live in this world. The flesh sets its desires against the Spirit. There's your new nature. 
the Spirit of Christ in you. The Spirit is against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. We saw earlier in Romans chapter 5 that the old nature was spiritually dead, and therefore sin was our boss. As we are transformed, when we trust Christ, He comes to live within us. We are born a second time. What was dead now comes alive, and that's our new nature. To live in the Spirit of God and allow the Spirit of God to be alive in us, that is a part of the second birth, being transformed. Now the flesh still seeks to be fed through sin, but now we have Christ to give us the victory over that flesh. So how do I break the power of sin in my life? Well, you don't. He does. If you could break it, He wouldn't have to live inside of you. But Jesus comes, He transforms us, we become spiritually alive, and the resurrection power that we've been studying for the last two weeks is now alive in us. That's our new nature, and that is our new victory. You can have victory over every sin, over every struggle, over every issue of the flesh. So Paul's going to answer that question, and we're going to see some other things. But to get there, let's see what was also taught through Scripture about all that God has given us for victory. You can hold your place or you're keeping Romans there. Uh, let's move over to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. By the way, you can follow along in your version notes. If you haven't downloaded that app, you can go to your app store, find version, Y-O-U version. It'll have a Holy Bible icon, and that will allow you to have all the scriptures we look at each and every week. Also, you're going to need the YouVersion app next week when we're outside. If you come for outdoor worship, all of the words of the songs will be posted there in YouVersion as well. Let's take a look. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was given us this understanding that when you are truly born of God, when there's been that second birth, you may struggle with sin, and sin may crouch at your doorstep, and sin may be trying to woo you, but you no longer live in sin. It doesn't say you won't struggle with it. It just simply says you won't practice that sin. You won't live under its power. Because why? Not because now you are more spiritual and in yourself have the strength, but in His seed, in Christ who lives in you, He is your hope, He is your victory, and He is your strength. For it's impossible for a Christian to keep on sinning and have no struggle in it and have no problem with it. It doesn't mean that there can't be a battle. It doesn't mean you won't struggle with it, especially with issues of addiction. But what John is saying, what Paul is preaching, is that God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's found in Him, not you trying harder, not something you do. It's a surrender. And it's an experience of Him and the power of His resurrection that gives us victory through the new nature we have in Christ. So let's go back to Romans. Let's wrap all this back up. Let's bring this to conclusion. Go to Romans chapter 6 now, where we left off. Jump down to verse 4. He continues on with his teaching so they could better understand. He says, Therefore... We have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Stop right there for just a moment. The Apostle Paul wanted to understand, Jesus didn't die just so you get a ticket to heaven. Jesus died, yes, that you would have eternal life, but Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
a new way of living, a new life, no longer under bondage to sin, no longer trapped in addictions, no longer discouraged or depressed, but that you might have a new way of living and a new way of experiencing life. How does that happen? We have to be baptized, immersed into dying to our old life and then raised to walk a new life in Christ. And that's exactly what we picture in believers' baptism. It is a picture of what happens in the heart. When that person is laid down, so to speak, or taken back into the water and immersed, that's what baptism is, to be totally immersed. That is a picture of Jesus' death, but it's also a picture that we also have died, that we died to our old way of living. And as we raise that person up out of the water, it's a picture we believe Jesus rose from the dead. And just as He rose from the dead, that same Jesus lives in us and gives us that ability to live in a new way of life. To live over sin, victorious, conquerors we are through Christ Jesus. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be done away with. Now notice that part of verse 6. Our old self was crucified. For something to be crucified, it means it was put on a cross and it was put to death. The Apostle Paul was saying Jesus died on the cross. Yes, we understand that. He died for our sins. But in that, as we exchange our old life for a new life, we have to understand We also have died. The old Bill Hulse, the old sin nature, is dead. And I receive a new nature. I receive Christ in my life. Now look at this. The old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That means rendered powerless. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Hold your place there. We're going to come back, but I want to document this again in Paul's preaching. It's found over in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. Again, we see the same concept. Again, anything we see in Scripture should be documented in the full counsel of God's Word. So in verse 22, he says that in reference to your former manner of life, he talks about the old way of living. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. So in other words, the Apostle Paul was teaching, you don't live under the old ways and the old nature and just get a new home someday. No, everything is new. Not just your eternal destiny, but also your current existence. The old nature is put off. The old nature is thrown away. And the new nature is now who we are. We put on the new self. Kind of like a new little shirt from Walmart. Verse 24. So put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We used to consistently sin in our old nature. But when we are filled with our new nature... There should be a consistency in our Christianity. There should be this new way of living, this new expression of life, and a new bill, and a new me. Do we struggle with old things? Yes. Do we struggle with sin that we used to party with or embrace and hug? Yes. But we don't live in that old nature. We live in the new nature. And so, very quickly, 
There are three keys to consistent Christianity. Three things that are taught that if you will experience these each and every day throughout the day, you can live out a consistent Christianity. Just write these down real quick. First is found in Romans chapter 6. Go back there to Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. The first thing we see is this. He says, in the same way, count, circle that word count, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some translations use the word not count. It's really a word they use reckon. Reckon, write that word down. It starts with the letter R, reckon. Reckon yourself dead to sin. That word reckon is actually a business term. It is an accounting term. It means to compute, to calculate, to consider, to look at the books and to draw the conclusion of what is accurate and what is true. He says every day that we wake up, we need to look at the book, the holy book. We need to look at truth and we need to reckon ourselves. We need to confess, I am dead to my old life. I am dead to sin. Whatever the struggle Whatever it is the enemy is trying to use to bring bondage into your life, reckon yourself dead to that. You start there, that's the first step. You speak death to that. You take up your cross in that area and you say, I will not live for that today. That will not live in my life. I crucify that area of sin or that specific sin. I reckon myself dead and I reckon myself alive in Christ. I call it kill and fill. I kill the sin I crucify that desire and I ask God to fill me, to live in Him. And if I'm living in Christ, I will be set free from that sin. Drop down to verse 12. If you get down to verse 12, we see the second step to consistent Christianity. The first one is to reckon ourselves dead to sin. The second thing we see here is resisting the pull of sin. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so you may obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. What we see here is he talks about this concept of resisting. Not caving in and not giving in and not just saying, well, that's just who I am and that's just the way I was made. That's, that's just my natural desires. That's just who I am. No, that's who the enemy wants you to be. That's how the enemy wants to destroy you. And yes, it may be tempting. And yes, it may be desirable to your eye. And yes, you may desire it more than you can ever express to anybody. But that doesn't mean it has to be you. You can resist that. You can put it away. You can crucify it. And you can allow Christ instead to rule in righteousness in your life. It's a choice you have to make. It starts with reckoning. It started going back to the reality of, no, I'm dead to sin. I will not live in sin today. And then as sin tries to come, you resist it. You resist the pull of sin. And then he gets to the third reality of a consistent Christian. is found in verse 13. But instead, present yourselves as those alive from the dead and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. When it says present yourselves, render is another word there. Render yourself to Him. So we have reckon, we have resist, and we have render. Render yourself means to present. It means literally to relinquish. It means I will not live for me. 
But it is a picture of surrender. I present myself to my master. I present myself to him and say, Lord, I don't want to live for my own desires. I don't want to live for sin. But Lord, I want to live for you. And I surrender to the Lord of my life. It is a rendering. It is a voluntary surrender. Remember what Jesus said? Remember when they brought him a coin and they said, you know, what about this Caesar thing? He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. That coin was created by Caesar and for Caesar. It was a part of the economy of that day. It was a coin that had his image on it. And he said, what is Caesar's, render back to Caesar. But whatever God has stamped his image on, render back to Present, submit back to Him. What has God put His image on? You and me. We were created in the image of God. We are to render ourselves to Him. We who are saved, we are redeemed, we have been purchased back by the blood of Christ, and we need to realize we are not our own. We've been stamped with His image. We need to render back to God what is God's. In Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2, you don't have to turn there. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, your total person, as a living sacrifice. This is holy. This is pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. You know, a lot of us can't wait for the time we can gather back together to worship. We miss this time together in this place. We've hungered for that, but you need to understand, worship doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. It doesn't happen in a building. If that were true, there'd be no worship on this planet. We've been quarantined. Romans chapter 12 reminds us, worship happens every moment of every day where? In this sanctuary. In you, the sanctuary of God. You're to be a living sacrifice that daily, daily reckons yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. They resist the pull of sin Every single day, taking up your cross daily and following Him. And in that, rendering yourself to God and saying, God, today, my act of worship is to give you all I have and all that I am. So look at those three things again. We'll put them on the screen. Three things. First, reckon yourself dead to sin. Number two, resist the pull of sin. And three, render yourself completely to Him. So Paul now begins to wrap up this part of his argument in verse 15. He says this, So as you heard these things, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but we're under grace? May it never, ever be. Never. You see, we're called to be consistent in our Christianity. Not just a Christian on Sunday mornings and attending a church, but every single day and every single morning, Presenting ourselves to God, reckoning ourselves to God, dead to sin and reckoning ourselves alive to Him. Resisting throughout the day the pull that would try to rob us of our consistency in our Christianity. And we do that as we render ourselves completely to Him. You see, a man's life is always more convincing than just what he says with his lips. Just because you have a bumper sticker on a car, you wear the t-shirt, you have a little fish somewhere that identifies you as a believer, those declarations are good. 
But the greatest of all is the life rendered to God. Listen to what C.H. Spurgeon said. He said this, When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. Did you hear what he just said? When people look at you in your life, it isn't what you declare, that's the equivalent of pennies. It's the deeds, it's the consistency in your Christianity that are the dollars, if you will. He went on to say, For if his life and doctrine disagree, then the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. In other words, what he was saying is, you can talk about it all day long, but if the walk doesn't match, if the walk doesn't validate, there is no message. The message is corrupt. Paul said, we can live a consistent life. We can experience the power of His resurrection every single day. But we have to reckon ourselves dead to sin, resist that sin, and render ourselves completely to Him. Would you pray with me this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Take just a moment and ask yourself this question. Has there been a time in my life where I died to my old life And through Christ, I became a new person. Now notice I didn't say, have you ever joined a church? Have you ever been baptized? Have you quit doing this and started doing that? No, the simple question is this. Has there been a defining moment in your life? You may not know the exact day, but you know there was a time that you died to your old life and you received a new life as you trusted Christ to be your Savior. If you've experienced Christ in your heart, not your head, but your heart, Right where you are, give God thanks. Praise God for that amazing gift of grace. And say, God, thank you for saving me. But if there's someone this morning who's worshiping online, somebody who's tuned in and, and, you've cho- and, and God somehow brought you to this message and maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and you know that your heart is empty and you know you're still trapped in your old life and you've never been set free. Jesus has never transformed you. You've never trusted in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, then right where you are, would you pray with me right now? Say, God, I need you. God, I turn from my old life and I give you my empty life. I open the door of my heart and I invite you in. Fill me, Lord Jesus. And may your resurrection power live in me this day. If you just prayed that, the Bible says He's come into you and He says all those who are in Christ, they're now a new creature. Old things are gone. You are now brand new in Christ Jesus. Would you just say thank you, Lord, right now? Just say, God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for saving me. And if He did right now, would you go to the chat box and would you say, I just prayed with the pastor. Our online pastor and the rest of them will celebrate with you, but... Our online pastor, I think it's Brother Sean today, he'll be getting back with you and finding ways to send you some literature and to follow up and encourage you in your new faith. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. As we go out this morning, I'm going to encourage you to uh, spend the next few moments praying for your city, for your family, for our state, for our nation and the world. Pray over those four things this morning, right there, wherever you're viewing, wherever you're watching, wherever you're worshiping. Let's pray.
Let's pray as we begin to enter back into what's now a new normal that may never be what we knew it to be, but that we would be cautious, that we'd be careful, and that God would get glory and revival would come to this world as we remember life is fragile and He holds all of it in the palm of His hands. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us online. We'll be dismissing from this this morning, but as you're dismissed, please gather and pray right where you are. We'll see you next Sunday at 945 online again. Or for those who can join us outdoors, we'll be celebrating our mothers and the Lord Jesus next Sunday, May 10th, 1105, right outside at the Annex. God bless you and have a great week in Jesus. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.